Alright everyone, welcome to Brandon at Random Reviews. I am Brandon Griffiths. I guess I could say I'm the host of this show. I feel like it's kind of weird to say that, so maybe I won't. So today I am going to be incorporating in some uh, some feedback that I received from a friend of mine. Um, some of it was stuff that I should have realized without having somebody tell me. And some of it was stuff that, you know, it was it, it was stuff I didn't even think about. You know, it was just... Because, I mean, basically, like, I felt like I was all over the place with the first episode. And I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in again and giving me another chance. Um, so the, the big thing I want to do this week is I want to first kind of dive in a little bit for, like, you know, just to explain who I am. Um, you know, I, I guess I, I should say I like movies. I'm a big fan of movies. I'm kind of like that guy in my family or, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, circle, um, that, like, I just, I, I love movies and, you know, I, I tend to know a lot about movies off the top of my head. I'm not going to say I'm an expert. I'll, uh, I'll borrow from... A, a podcast I love called James Bonding, and they they always say in regard to James Bond, they are lovers, not experts. They do not act like they are hot shit and they know everything about James Bond. They just they like to know little tidbits and factoids and different things like that. I think that you could probably consider them experts, but like they just don't want to be labeled as such. So. What I want to talk about today, um, I'll, I'll get into it in a little bit, but what, what I first would like to really bring up is something that I'm noticing, and this is not really movie related at all, and, and I do this and I notice that like basically almost everyone I know seems to do this, which is they, they try and like if I start saying something... It's like people have this compulsion to finish the thought before I can finish what I'm saying. Like they they want to get there before I get there, you know, like and it's like they act as though I don't know if it's if it's that they think that I'm not sure what I want to say or if it's that they really just want to be right about something. I really tend to think it's the latter, but like, you know. And so what I want to say is just stop doing that. You know, stop stop trying to finish my sentence before I can finish it. You know what I mean? Like, if if it starts to be like I'm trailing off and like I'm not saying anything, then okay, maybe maybe say something. You know, maybe say, are you talking about this? Or do you mean to say this? Or, you know, but like, don't don't make it a big deal of like, I've got to say what you're going to say. And I'm going to be right about it. And that's the way it is. You know, like, that's that's what it, what I'm perceiving it as. And I kind of have a feeling that that is what it is. But, you know, regardless, I just, I wanted to throw that idea out there. And I also have one other little nugget to, um, to mention before I start with the actual episode. I... 
I thought something in my head today, which was that something looked cute as shit. And I find it weird, our English language, like, I say something like something is cute as shit and it, it is, I am like emphasizing how cute that thing is. You know what I mean? Like, oh, she looks cute as shit in shorts. Okay. That, but like when I dissect cute as shit, that it sounds like I'm saying that it's a very bad thing. You know, like I'm saying that it has no business being considered cute at all. It's, it's so not cute that it's cute as actual shit, you know? So I don't know, I don't know where that came from. I don't know if other people say that, but like, I just wanted to point out how weird the English language can be. Okay, so moving on to the actual meat of the episode, so to speak. And this is, this is pretty much a brand new format. I've never, I, I, I so what happened was I recorded my first episode and I uploaded it, and then I shared it with everybody on Facebook, you know, all my Facebook friends, you know. And when I did that, I, like, kind of, like, was on, I felt like I was on a roll, and I was like, I should, I should, you know, capture this, this energy, and I should record a whole bunch of episodes, you know. So I, I recorded, like, three more episodes and I hadn't even gotten any feedback on, like, what I was doing right or wrong in this whole, you know, podcast thing. So, like, I recorded these three extra episodes that, like, now maybe I'll just save them and, like, you know, release them as, like, little, you know, bonus episodes or something. But, like, for the most part, they're kind of all over the place. Um... And what I'm trying to do today is I'm trying to stick to my guns and just talk about what I want to talk about and be more in-depth with what I'm talking about and actually have researched stuff to a certain degree. So what I want to talk about today is there's, there's a franchise of movies called the Mission Impossible movies. They are on number seven right now, maybe number eight. I can't remember. Anyway, I want to talk about the first two Mission Impossible movies today. And so I'll start off and I'm going to try, I'm going to speak about one and then I'll speak, I'll, I'll speak about the first one and then I'll, I'll move on to the second one. I, I'm, I'm trying not to, to blend too many thoughts together because like it, it could just muddle my points. Um, and so, like, we've got Mission Impossible 1, which was released in 1996, and it was based on the, uh, TV show from, I believe, the 1960s, is what I read. Um, I, I think I've seen bits and pieces of that show. Um, I especially remember an episode where they were making, like, a guy was trapped in a room and had to make a mask or something. It was very, like, I had already seen the movies, so, like, I knew that that was, like, a thing, but, like, that shit would have blown my mind if I had not seen any Mission Impossible movies up to that point. So, 
as I mentioned, I think 1996. Um, this so here's the thing. Okay, so it's this Mission Impossible idea. You know, it's like Mission colon Impossible. This this mission can't be done. It takes this special group of agents or this one particular agent to come in and actually do what, you know, what needs to be done to accomplish this. They always talk about it. The IMF is what is what the agency is called. And I I just found out for the first time, I think I had never heard of this before. The IMF stands for the Impossible Missions Force. Yeah. Let that one sink in. It's pretty bad. Like, it's 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 pretty stupid, if you ask me. Like, I just can't... I can't get there. Like, it, it's like you couldn't come up with something any better than just that. Like, alright, whatever. So, these movies feature um, Tom Cruise. You know, he's in all of them. He plays uh, the main character, Ethan Hunt, um, which is, it's a, it's a solid name, by the way. That's a solid, um, I don't know about secret agent name, but just character name in general. Um, So Tom Cruise, you know, I kind of have a love-hate thing with Tom Cruise because I haven't always hated Tom Cruise. And at one point... I was on this, like, fucking bender when I was a kid, like, trying to see every Tom Cruise movie ever made, and, like, I even went so far as to thinking the movie Cocktail was actually, like, a good movie. Apparently it was not, and I'm not going to revisit it because I don't care that much. And, like, I I watched, you know, Risky Business, Top Gun, um, shit, oh, Days of Thunder... I mean, like, all these movies that are just, like, what's going on here, you know? Like, I mean, this guy's great, you know? it's He's, he's in everything, you know? He's, he's in all these great movies, and I just can't get enough of them, and I just, I keep renting these different movies. And a movie of Tom Cruise's I don't care for is called The Color of Money, which is odd because it's a Martin Scorsese picture, and it is also... Um, it has Paul Newman in it, who I can honestly take or leave. Like, I've never been a big Paul Newman fan at all. Like, I just don't think he's that great. But, like, The Color of Money was a movie about, uh, a, a guy who plays pool, you know, like, billiards. And, like, it was a sequel to a movie Paul Newman was in, in, oh, shit, I want to say it was... It was like 61 maybe or like I don't I'm I'm just spitballing here but it's not really relevant. I didn't I didn't look this up for this podcast in advance because I didn't even think to. But anyway, it was a much older movie. It was in black and white and then they came out with this movie and then the I think it was the 80s. I think yeah, it was definitely the 80s and they you know, they released it and it was like a sequel you know, like, they come out with a sequel to this fucking old-ass movie. So apparently this has been going on with these fucking sequels that everybody wants to make 35 years after they fucking were popular. <sighs> Whatever. Um, my my issue with Cruise is, 
I don't even think he's a bad actor. I don't think he's... I don't have anything against his acting ability because actually I think he probably is a good actor. But the issue I have is that he doesn't... He's a wretched human being. Like, he, he's, he's like the fucking poster child for Scientology. And, I mean, say what you want about whatever. Scientology is awful. Like, it is... The, the creator of, of Scientology was a science fiction novelist who, I believe, said something to the effect of reli- starting a religion being the easiest way to make money. He was, I believe, quoted in saying that, but you'll have to do your own research on that one because I don't want to look up L. Ron Hubbard and the things that he said. Um... So, you take Tom Cruise, and, like, he does well here. He does what I call frustrated acting. Like, he just acts like he's just so worked up all the time. And, like, you know, he's never just being, for the most part, like, a normal dude. And it's just, it's a bit much for me to take in. He's, (laughs) I mean... I should probably talk about the cast before I really dive into the subject matter of this movie. There's some, some, there's like a one or two popular names and then some that are like kind of iffy. Um, I'm not going to talk about like some of the actresses or actors that are people I've never seen in anything else because I just don't care. You know, I mean, they're, or if I have seen them in something else, it was so minuscule that I don't even. Don't even remember what it was. But um, John Voight is in this movie. John Voight was... The the two movies I think of when I think John Voight are Deliverance and Anaconda. If you can believe that. He is in the movie Anaconda. He's doing... I believe it's a Portuguese accent. Or at least his interpretation of one. And he just... The movie is a barrel full of laughs. If you haven't seen it recently, go back and watch it and just see how terrible the movie Anaconda is. It's got uh, Jennifer Lopez and Ice Cube and uh, early Owen Wilson and, you know, just a couple of others. I think maybe Eric Stoltz was in that one. I can't remember. Uh, John Voight's a good actor. Uh, Deliverance, if you've never seen Deliverance... I'm going to spoil Deliverance. I'm not going to spoil these these Mission Impossible movies as well as much as I can avoid it. Deliverance is a movie that I didn't know anything about. I had just I had only heard that it was like a classic, like it was a really good movie. And so I went and rented Deliverance and I watched it. And there is a scene, and it is the only scene anybody ever talks about from Deliverance other than the dueling banjos scene, where um, John Voight and Burt Reynolds' character get cornered in the woods by two redneck hunters who attempt to and subsequently do rape one of the two of them like, pretty fucking bad. It's it's a lot to take in when you're, like, 
13 years old and you're like expecting just like an adventure movie or something and then you get deliverance but suffice it to say that's that's the pivotal moment in the movie um and i i can't really suggest that you watch it if you've never seen it because it's it's just really it's nothing special to me um another person in this movie is jean renault who is french as you might assume um he was great in the movie The Professional. I really can. I will recommend The Professional. It's also known as Leon The Professional. And it's got like super young Natalie Portman in it. Like she's a little kid in the movie. And basically like Jean Renault plays this hitman and he has to like teach this girl how to do stuff and it's pretty fucking awesome honestly like if if anything it's it's great for the final act of the movie like it's fucking great and Gary Oldman's also in it as a bad guy as he should be um well nine times out of ten he should be a bad guy um so you know the other movie I know Jean Renault from is the 1998 classic Godzilla with Matthew Broderick and that girl that you'll never remember the name of and neither will I. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any... I mean... I I know I've seen Jean Reno in other movies, but like nothing jumps out at me as like movies of his, so I'll, I'll move on. But like... Okay, so we got Ving Rhames. Okay, great. Really like Ving, Ving Rhames. Don't really know a lot of movies he's in other than Pulp Fiction. And, and I mean, he plays Marcellus Wallace in that movie. And he's it's kind of a bit part, you know. He's not like a major character. He's, a, he's definitely like super supporting. And the other... Movies I can think of when I think of Ving Rhames are other Mission Impossible movies, including both of the ones I will be talking about today. So, and then, the last one I want to mention is Emilio Estevez, the Mighty Duck Man. Yes, that's a Night of the Roxbury reference, and if you don't understand it, you can probably just YouTube the scene where they talk about the Emilio Estevez story. And yeah. Um, but I like him in the Mighty Ducks movies. I think I haven't seen them in a lot. I've seen the first one more recently. But like the the second two I have not seen in forever. Like since they originally came out on video I think. And so another one that. Emilio Estevez is in is Maximum Overdrive, which was Stephen King's one and only, um, you know, directorial uh, debut for a movie. He, I mean, it was it was his debut and it was his last, I should say. So it was it was notoriously terrible. Um, it's got quite a cult following, but it's not a good movie, guys. It's it's a bad fucking movie. And 
the other movie I think of with Emilio Estevez is one called Free Jack, which was covered on the podcast, How Did This Get Made? And Free Jack, I don't really, I can't really exactly remember what the, the idea of that movie was. Like, I remember it was basically like, you know, like something to do with swapping with somebody when they're about to die and... You know, if they're... I, I, I... God, I can't even fucking remember. It's so bad, though. It's such a stupid fucking movie. But anyway, back to what I was saying. Okay, so... I talked about Cruz and how I'm not a huge fan of his acting necessarily all the time, but he's not terrible. Um, the thing that these... It, it's a theme in both movies, but, like, this first movie... You, you see it firsthand and like I think it's done better in this movie because it's not overdone in this movie. And so they they do masks. So like they'll have like these prosthetic masks that they put on and they are like stuck to their face and they're made to look like another person completely. So like for instance, like, let's say, I'm just going to name two actors, like, let's say, oh, oh, perfect, Edward Norton, let's say he was wearing a mask of Brad Pitt, okay, and the thing is with that, like, okay, and this, this Mission Impossible movie, in all of these movies that they use this trope, they don't really, like, they don't capture the fact that, like, the the mask would look weird. Like, you would never be able to convince anybody that Edward Norton actually was Brad Pitt wearing a Brad Pitt mask because if he's wearing a Brad Pitt mask, it just, it looks odd. You know, like, it's gonna look, like, it's gonna, your face is gonna be bigger on average than than what your face than what the face should be that you're trying to to emulate. And so, I mean, these movies, it's like they just kind of use camera trickery to like remove the mask and like you know, obviously they just have the actor who the mask is supposed to be of play until they go to take their mask off and it's like, "Oh, big reveal, it wasn't them," you know. And like but it's just, it's an annoying thing to me in these movies. Like, I used to think it was really cool when I was younger and I didn't, like, think about it on that that level of, like, what is this? You know, like, why does this happen? You know, like, they would never be able to, to trick anybody. I mean, like, you, you, would, you would know something at the very least was up if you saw somebody wearing a mask and they were just trying to be somebody else, you know? Like, I mean... It's insane. Um, so I I put I put the word gadgets in my notes. Uh, gadgets plural is is very generous. I would say for the most part the biggest gadget item is um, Emilio Estevez gives Tom Cruise a stick of gum that is like green at one end red at the other end 
And so it looks like a stick of half spearmint, half big red. And when you fold it in half and mash it together, it becomes like, you know, like it's, it's, a, it's a plastic explosive. It, it just, it will explode. Like it starts the, the timer on the, the bomb, so to speak, when, when you mash the, mash the two ends together. So it's, it's kind of a cool little idea, you know, it gets used a little bit here and there, but like, for the most part, like, actual gadget gadgets, like, there's nothing super James Bondish beyond that in this movie. Um, so, so, there is... There's a lot going on in this movie that I have a problem with, but I, I want to start, like, I, before I really get into the plot at all, which I don't want to give up too much information on, uh, I used to love this movie when I was a kid. I watched it all the time, and I, like, couldn't get enough of it. I thought it was so cool. And, like, uh, the funny thing about it is, like, a lot of the plot doesn't like it's it's what we call what what uh people in the film business call doex machina which means like basically like plot conveniences like not necessarily plot holes but like things that it's like they would have to really really be conveniently timing some stuff to make it work and like they just so it's like it was brought up, like, I watched the review that Siskel and Eber did of this movie when it came out, and they both gave it thumbs up, but they also commented, like, despite it being a very exciting movie with a lot of intense scenes and stuff, they basically just suggested that the plot of the movie, like, if someone just tried to straight up tell you what was going on in the plot of this movie they would probably not be able to to actually enunciate everything that everything that happens like it's just it's there's a lot of confusing shit going on and like it's not just like dumb people can't figure out what it like it's it's actually like that like it there are there are things that are like holy shit how did that happen why did that happen um the so we start off this this story with you know you've got uh, you're kind of like setting up like who Tom Cruise is, what kind of work he does, um, and it's just it's so like I, I don't even know like you you don't I mean obviously when you first watch the movie you don't know what's gonna happen and like. It's it's pretty exciting and it's pretty intense, you know. Like they do they do a really good job. Like Brian De Palma is the director of this movie and he does I can't sell this hard enough. He is a master when it comes to building tension in these scenes and like actually, you know, making it feel like it's a very exciting moment. Um I just I just don't know like, I don't know how he does it sometimes. Uh, so, we have some pivotal scenes. Like, the opening scene is this, you know, this team is... 
breaking into this embassy and they're, you know, they they're they want to uh, extract this list from this computer and it's like the hilarious thing to me is like especially like mid 90s movies with computers is like it's such a slap in the face like they just knew people didn't know shit about computers and they couldn't fucking make up enough bullshit about computers and just like act like they were, you know, it was really what happens, you know, like these emails that they have in this movie are just ridiculous. Like they don't make any fucking sense whatsoever. And, and they would never like be able to send us real emails. And so after this opening heist, so to speak, we have the scene a little later on in the movie that's definitely the most popular scene of the movie where they break into the CIA and, you know, it's Tom Cruise that does the breaking in. They go, you know, and they break into this room and he is, you know, trying to steal the other half of this list and, like, he's... So, like, the big problem I have is, like, they go through all the security measures that they have in place for this computer and or, you know, like, for this this room that this computer is in, right? And, you know, it's one guy, you know, it's like there's a retina scan, there's uh, voice-activated commands at the door, and then, like, inside when the door's on, or when the room is on lockdown, like, there's pressure sensors everywhere, and there's, there's, uh, like, sound, you know, like, microphones, like, if you hit a certain decibel level, it would, you know, set off the alarm, you know, things like that. And so, like, they've got to break into this room while it's on lockdown. And the thing is, is like, okay, there's there's a couple of things that bother me. You take the, the fact that, okay, there, there's the decibels and there's the pressure sensitive, but there's not a single video camera in this fucking room, are you shitting me? Like, and like, the other thing is, is the computer still functions when the room is on lockdown. Like, how could you not make it so it would automatically lock you out of the computer and say like, you can't be in here, we haven't, you know, your security code hasn't been entered at the door. You know, like just shit like that, that like drives me absolutely fucking bonkers. Um, but it's all in all a very suspenseful scene of them breaking into the CIA. It's a very cool scene. A lot of the stuff they do is really convenient. Like, you know, they, they, they're banking on the habits of this guy being so rigid that like, you know, they know exactly when to like, you know, do things to distract him or, you know, whatever. And it just, it doesn't add up. So... Everything is, you know, everything is just timed perfectly. But then, so, like, as the movie progresses, you know, like, you start to find out more things. And there's, towards the end of the movie, there's this big chase uh, scene with a helicopter and a train. And it's it's pretty cool, uh, albeit ridiculously, like, not realistic, I would say. But, um, you know, there's, there's all, there's 
there's so much computer stuff. Like the, the big other thing is the big urban myth about like tracing a phone call, like trying to trace a phone call. They always, you know, like in this movie, they suggest that it's 30 seconds that you have to be on the phone with the person you're talking to to trace their line. And according to everything I've ever heard anywhere, that's just like completely untrue. Like it takes like a few seconds to just trace a line and figure out where it's, you know, where it's at. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, this is in the age of caller ID where it's like when somebody's calling you, you know who is calling, you know, within a second. You know, as soon as the call starts coming in, you know who's calling you. But this movie, it's, I mean, it's got a Danny Elfman score, which is really well done, of course, because it's Danny fucking Elfman. And then one thing I will say about this movie is I almost felt like it needed to be rated R. Not, Not that I thought the movie itself should have gotten an R rating. It's that I think that they should have made the movie with a plan to have it be rated R all along and then there there could be other scenes because like there's supposed to be like a romantic thing between um between Ethan Hunt and this other uh this the the only you know female character that's like consistently in this movie um it's but it's like you barely even it barely even gets alluded to you know it's like they they say it and they they kind of act like it but it's like it's not it's not there and i think just like even like a pg13 sex scene would have been something but it was like no like they didn't even do that so it was like i got it i got to ding it for that it's not it's not ideal um so as much as i love you know as much as I love the movie, like, I, I do have, you know, those kinds of gripes about it now in retrospect, looking back, saying, oh, okay, this is kind of bullshit. Uh, so, the budget of this movie in 1996 was $80 million, eight zero, and the revenue, the worldwide gross, I guess you would say, is four fifty seven point seven million, which is pretty fucking good, by the way. Um, it has a seven point one out of ten on IMDb, which is a pretty solid rating. Um, I think you know it probably is less high because of the things I've mentioned. Because you know some people are even bigger sticklers about it than I am. Um. I just, but it's a good, it's, you know, and I mean, it's, on on Rotten Tomatoes, it's a 66% for, from the critics, and then 71% from the audience, so that's certified fresh, you know, like, that's, that's solid, that's, that's pretty decent, you know, I mean, it's not amazing, it's not overwhelmingly unanimous or anything, but it's, it's good. Um, it's only 110 minutes, which honestly, like, if I would have had to guess, I would have guessed this movie was longer. Not, not because, like, it's slow or something, but because it just seems like a lot of shit happens in this movie for it to only be, you know, an hour and 50 minutes. And, 
I mean, I would say personally, I for Mission Impossible One, I I would recommend seeing it. I, if you haven't seen the first Mission Impossible, you really need to check it out and just because it's it's a lot more basic, it's a lot less over the top than some of these ones that have come out in previous years. It's it, you know like I mean the last the last decade they've done quite a few of these Mission Impossible movies and they've all been like as you know, action-packed as you could ask them to be, and they're, like, less on, like, the the sneaking and the the gadgetry type stuff. But I still, I still really enjoy this movie, and I still revisit it from time to time. Probably not as much as I used to when I was a kid, but it's still, it's solid. I love it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would definitely say, like, for, for me, I would say 4.5 out of 5 stars. Uh, that's that's how I rate things. You know, I just, I would say that's, that's the best rating I can give you. But I would like to, I think I've covered all my bases in Mission Impossible 1. Let's move on to the year 2000 with Mission Impossible 2. So... In this movie, I must mention, first and foremost, we get a long-haired Tom Cruise. This was in his, like, Vanilla Sky days, you know, he just had this hairstyle. Magnolia, I think he had the same hairstyle. Um, so, I, I want to mention this part of the movie before I get too far. So, there's a, a scene in the beginning of this movie where Tom Cruise is rock climbing and like it's a pretty well known thing that like Tom Cruise does pretty much all of his own stunts and he's like cr- climbing this rock formation and he gets to the top of this you know spoiler alert he gets to the top but um he gets to the top and this helicopter shows up and they f- they like point this like what looks like a bazooka basically at him and they shoot this little tiny dinky rocket and it it hits the ground near Tom Cruise and Tom Cruise goes over and like disassembles it and there's an actual like pair of sunglasses in there and they've got little earpiece parts on them and it's kind of hilarious like because I mean like that's still pretty cool by today's standards you know like I mean, like, I have seen those kinds of headphones, like, you know, sunglasses with headphones attached, and they're kind of nifty, but they're also, you know, like, I I would just wear my headphones on top of my sunglasses, like, I wouldn't do that. Anyway, so, this, mo- this movie, like, they use these sunglasses as a device for delivering Tom Cruise his mission briefing, and... He, you know, he puts on the the sunglasses and he can watch this, like, video readout. It's very cool. It's still cool by today's standards, I argue. Having, like, you know, being able to do that and, like, you know, it feels like it inspired those, like, Google Glass things that they had years ago. Um, But he is, when he goes to get these sunglasses, he is just, like, (sighs) like, He's, like, so smugly reacting to it. It's, like, I I just, I don't know what to do with myself. Like, it's so, 
so annoying, like, watching him interact with this thing. Like, it's just like, just fucking grab the sunglasses, Tom. Like, just fucking do it. Don't make a big, you know, shtick about it. So, this movie, I'll say, um, now that I've gotten that out of the way about the, the opening, well, the, the first Tom Cruise scene, or one of the first Tom Cruise scenes. Um, it's it's directed by a, a director named John Woo. And I, you know, I don't know a ton of John Woo movies. I think I've only seen one. Oh, no, no, no. I've seen two. So he made... He made the movie Broken Arrow with Christian Slater and John Travolta. And he also has a movie that is like a... Um, it's like a like a Chinese film, I think, or a Korean film. I can't remember. I don't... I, I hate to sound racist, but I honestly can't remember if it was... I want to say it was Chinese. And like, John Woo... The the movie I know is um, called Hard Boiled, and it's got Chow Yun Fat, who is in uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and so all I remember about Hard Boiled is that it takes place like the end, like the final act of the movie takes place in this this hospital, and like there's like this giant shootout. And Chow Yun-Fat is, like, taking... He has a baby. Like, he's holding a baby. And he is having this gunfight. And it's in this fucking hospital with all this fucking chaos going on. And there's a fucking baby. It's ridiculous. So, what he does... He does it, like, to a disgusting degree in this movie is he uses a lot of slow-mo and he uses a lot of doves, which I'm, I know doves are symbolic and blah, 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 but like, I don't know if they have a, a greater meaning for John Woo or something, but like, it's, it's constantly happening that like, the doves are are here and there, not not too overwhelming, but they're kind of distracting and weird. But like the slow motion in this movie, I I mean the movie is like two hours four minutes, and I feel like without slow motion, if it was played at regular speed, it'd be like ninety two minutes tops. Like it is so much fucking slow mo. I'm 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 exaggerating of course, but like. There are times where it's like, there's a scene where Tom Cruise is jumping out of a helicopter and he is, um, there's a cable spool in the helicopter and like, they show the spool unspooling and it like, is in slow-mo and they do it and it's like the slow motion makes it feel so... Like, it doesn't even look right, you know? Like, it's confusing to look at in slow motion because you're used to seeing those in, in, you know, regular motion. And it's just, it's terrible. But, like, I guess, like, 
there are some scenes where it's it's okay. You know, like you could have you could have done it and it would have been fine. But it's not like you know, it's not necessary. Like you you can con- construct a compelling action scene without having slow-mo every fucking step of the way. And like there's there's a lot more like I mentioned in the last movie. There's a lot of masks in this movie, but they have the addition of like these voice modulator things, like these little like pl- like plastic microchip strips that they put on their neck at like Adam's apple level and they like are supposedly like changing the person's voice to sound like the person they're they're wearing the mask of, you know? And like there are a ton of like they utilize the masks heavily here. And like it's so terrible how much they fucking do it. Like it gets to the point where it's just like if this isn't a mask, I'm going to be surprised. Like it's not like I'm going to be blown away by anything I see. It's just it is what it is, but, um, but like the thing about the voice modulator type thing is like they also did this in in Scream Three, and it's like a pretty well known thing, I guess, that like this technology does not exist. Like you cannot take a you, you don't. There's no machine out there that you can just like like. Obviously, there are like voice changing machines, you know, like auto-tune and shit like that too, but like, there are not machines that can emulate the sound of another person's voice exactly. Like, they, I don't know that they could even get close, but like, to my knowledge, there is not one in existence, and it, it drives me absolutely insane that that's how they, you know, like, how they get by, like, you know, being more tricky, and it's just, it's ridiculous, and, like, there are scenes in this movie where they'll, like, slap a mask on somebody, and they'll have, like, pulled that fucking mask out of thin air, and it's, like, we, I already talked about, like, how obvious it would be if somebody was just wearing a mask over their face, but, like, because, like, you would, at the very least, know it was a mask, right, so it's, like, that's where I'm at with it, um, so, the, the plot of the movie, without giving too much away, is, like, about, like, uh, a, a bioweapon, like, uh, somebody releasing a virus, or, you know, like, wanting to release a virus, and, you know, basically, like, they have to stop them from doing that. Um, it's, it's not a terrible plot, like, it's, it, you know, it keeps things interesting, I guess. And then, like, so I, I should probably mention some of these other cast members. They're, I didn't start off with them because they're either so minor or they're so not like not well-known names. But like, okay, so we got Dugri Scott, who is the bad guy in this movie, and apparently the only movie I've I can really think of that he's been in is the movie Ever After with Drew Barrymore. I don't, I, I never saw that movie. Um, I seem to remember one of like the, the evil stepsisters. 
I seem to remember one of them being really attractive, but I can't remember if it was... But anyway, I didn't want to delve into Ever After's IMDb page that much, so I just kind of moved on. Um, he's not... Dugray Scott is not very good in this movie. Like, his, his acting is subpar, I guess. Like, I mean, just some of his line deliveries, I just kind of felt like... Man, that doesn't really feel like much, you know. It's it, you're not really doing much for me. Um, one person I completely because I I used to watch this movie a lot too, and you know it was just, but it was like, you know, I was like fourteen, fifteen when it came out, and I thought it was really cool, and you know all this shit, and like I obviously love the first one, but like an actor that I completely forgot was in this movie is Brendan Gleeson, who plays. Most popularly, Mad-Eye Moody, I think is his name, in the Harry Potter movies. And he also is in one of my all-time favorites, In Bruges, which is Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. It's, I honestly cannot recommend In Bruges. It's I-N-B-R-U-G-E-S. It is, I love it. I, I cannot get enough of it. It's such a great fucking movie. I know not everybody agrees with me, but, like, I want to say I love it. Um, so, you know, the, Brendan Gleeson, he's pretty minor in this movie. Anthony Hopkins is in this movie, but it's very brief, which is why I didn't mention him sooner. Um, I mean, obviously, he played Hannibal Lecter and like, The Silence of the Lambs and all the other ones that he was in. Uh, he's Odin in the Thor movies, and he's also the original Zorro in The Mask of Zorro with um, Antonio Banderas, and uh, okay, so the actress in this movie, who is, by the way, super attractive, uh, her name is Tandyway Newton. And I always, like, was confused by her name because I had to look up the pronunciation on Wikipedia. It's T-H-A-N-D-I-W-E. And it's, like, I had always seen it, like, misspelled without the W, and I just thought it was Tandy. But, like, it's Tandy Way Newton. Um, I, <laughs> I put in my notes, super hot. And then I put, um, she's in Westworld, Okay. Pretty solid show. I only watched the first season or two, I think. Um, she was the mom in The Pursuit of Happiness that, um, you know, has Will Smith in it. Um, she was in Solo, the Star Wars prequel film about Han Solo that I could take or leave as a movie. Like, I just... Uh, I actually have a copy of it because... Uh, my friend Lance gave me his digital copy when he bought the movie. And I was like, yeah, sure, why the fuck not? And she's also in this movie called Gridlocked with Tim Roth and Tupac. And I don't remember anything about that movie other than she's naked in it, which is like, I'm starting to, I'm starting to get into like creepy territory right now and I, I'm going to stop, so... So, back to the actual movie. So, like, there is a motorcycle chase scene at the end of this movie that is ridiculous. Like, slow-mo to the all-time max. 
and like there is a scene where okay they're they're chasing you know they're racing on motorcycles and they're like you see several shots of their tires and then they show like a very very in your face shot of them landing on a beach and the the motorcycle cam- comes in over the camera and the tires on the vehicle have changed into off-road tires yeah and so they have this big like fight on the beach and you know like there's a scene where like Tom Cruise almost gets stabbed in the eye and there's a super close-up slow-mo shot and I'm just like shut the fuck up already just get it the hell over with um, and these fucking doves just keep showing up out of nowhere, just, you know, fluttering around and shit. And so, so there's like, I, I can't, I can't talk too much about it, but like, there is a scene where a guy is in, like, you don't know what, you're not supposed to know what's going on, so I won't. I won't even fucking go there, guys. Just suffice it to say, it has to do with masks, and it is fucking absurd. Um, if you if you've ever seen this movie, and you want to ask me about that sometime, I will gladly explain to you what I was talking about. But it's it's just too stupid. Um, so the one thing, like with Tandy Way Newton and Tom Cruise in this movie. I mean, they're essentially, like, a couple, you know? Like, it's not even like in the first movie where, you know, it's hinted that Tom Cruise is with this girl or whatever. It's like, no, they're, like, straight up together, you know? And, like, Dougray Scott's, um, you know, like, supposedly, like, her ex or whatever. And, but it's like, I just, I find it funny that, like, every spy movie, it's like, no... No spy, apparently, can be just straight-up monogamous, you know? Like, they can't just lock it down with one chick and, like, have her in the same... Like, do audiences get that bored that easily? Like, I'm not... So, like, I love James Bond movies. And the only reason I would be disappointed if he didn't change girls is because I'm expecting it at this point. But, like, if if you did actual character development of those girls... Bond girls, like, it'd be amazing. But it's like, they do the same thing here in Mission Impossible. They don't, they don't seem to grasp the concept of, like, you know, having all of these extra, um, like, you know, any emphasis on building up this female character for a romantic lead. Um, and so, you know, by the next movie, he's just moved on to somebody else. And, like, I think maybe in this series of films, they, like... I think Michelle Monaghan shows up. Uh, and then, like, I think she's actually around for, like, more than one movie. But I'm not positive. Um, so, this movie had a budget of $125 million. Uh, it had a worldwide gross of $546.4 million. It is at a pretty dismal 6.1 on IMDb. Um, 
it's 57% for critics rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And it's a 42% audience rating, which kind of surprised me. I would have thought it would have been flip-flopped. Like, I would have thought it would have been higher with the audience, you know, but apparently not. As I mentioned, it's, you know, it's two hours, four minutes, and it actually kind of, like, I won't lie, like, despite all the slow-mo, it it breezes along. Like, it, it moves, you know? Like, I don't, I never felt like I was, like, hung up on, like, good God, when the fuck is this going to be over? You know what I mean? Like, at least it had that going for it. Uh, but honestly, I would say, unless you want to watch this movie just to make fun of it, which is totally acceptable, I would say pass on it. Like, don't bother. Um, I mean, it's it sparked quite a few parodies. You know, like, I think Scary Movie 2 did um, a bit or two on it. And, like, it's just... The movie itself is so stupid. Like, it's just all of the slow-mo... The acting's not that great, or, like, whenever the acting is good, it's, like... Because, like, Brendan Gleeson has a very small role. Like, I would have rather seen... Ooh, that's a fucking solid idea. I would have rather have seen Brendan Gleeson be the villain in this movie and have there be, like... I don't know, like, a different connection. Like, Dougie Scott could still be in it, but, like, he'd be, you know, the lead henchman or something. I don't know, but, like... For the most part, I would say, I would say I can't recommend this movie. I would rank this like two point five stars out of five. Like it's not, it's not that great, guys. It's I mean I just I don't love it, and like I I it's not what it was when I was fourteen. So I hope that kind of explains it for you. It's one of the first movies I ever had on DVD though, which is exciting. So yeah, um, that was Mission Impossible 1 and Mission Impossible 2. Um, you know, to be a completionist, I guess if you're watching the Mission Impossible movies all in order, you could watch the second one and it, you wouldn't be like too pissed off that you did, but like you will recognize some of the stupid things that I've talked about here. And like, I also, um... I just, I don't, I mean, like, I haven't watched any of the other ones in such a long time. Like, I saw the Fallout one, but, like, I don't remember three through whatever they're on right now, seven or whatever. I don't remember almost anything about them. I remember Philip Seymour Hoffman in Mission Impossible 3, but I don't think I'll, like, revisit this film series unless, like, I'm 600 episodes deep and I'm that bored, you know, like I run out of movies, but for the most part, I would say, um, I'd say, yeah, like I said, you know, don't, don't worry about checking out number two if you don't, you know, it's a real number two at times. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's all I got for this week. Um, you know, if, if you have something that you hear in this podcast that, you know, you want you want something to be different, you want, you know, changes to be made, feel free to comment on, you know, when I share the post and just let me know, hey, this is, you know, how I feel about this, blah, blah, blah. 
and I'll just kind of delve into it and, you know, see if I can make it happen. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Brandon at Random Reviews is performed, written, directed, produced, and edited by Brandon Griffiths. Theme music is performed by Augusto Diniz from Fiverr. 